Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Empower Podcast, where we look to empower students by looking through other people's careers and journeys. Today, um, myself, my name is Amir Katra, and um, once again, I'm joined by my co-host, Baraj and Abby. And today, we're joined by a very special guest, Salam Abagudde, who's currently a fourth-year JD MBA candidate at Schulich and the Osgood Law School. Fun fact, we actually met Salam back in our first year because he was a TA for one of our management courses. And it's quite interesting to see how two years later, we have him on as a guest for our podcast. Now, before we jump deeper, deeper into your journey, Salam, could you please tell us a little bit more about you and your background? Sure. So, uh, hey, Amrit, Balraj, and Abby. Um, great to join you guys on this uh, episode of the Empower podcast. Um, a little bit about myself. I'm a fourth-year JDMB student at uh, Osgoode Hall Law School and the Schuler School of Business. For those who do not know, that is a combined dual-degree program between an MBA um, and law school. And uh, I am in my final semester um, of this long program. Um, I, uh, I'm an aspiring lawyer and I'm about to start articling at a firm called Davies. It's one of the top law firms um, in Canada that focuses on high stakes matters. And I'm hoping to specialize in some form of corporate commercial law. Um, and, uh, and in you know, my spare time, I love playing sports. Um, soccer is my sport of choice and a uh, big fan of fitness and, uh, yeah, I love doing that and spending time with my family. So that's a little bit about myself. Yeah. And obviously like pursuing a business law degree, that's a pretty big decision to make because you're kind of extending your studying by another like four years. Right. So could you, could you talk a little bit about when you decided that you were going to pursue business law and how that decision came about? Hmm. Um, I think, I think, uh, you know, throughout my whole life, um, I've been fortunate to, to have been around business uh, people and um, come from a business family. All three of my brothers um, have their own businesses. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so a lot of my household conversations revolved around business and uh, kind of put this passion for business and entrepreneurship in me at a young age. And that's why I pursued my undergrad in business. Now, during my undergrad, I took a business law course with a professor called Jan Weir um, at the University of Toronto, and I found it very intellectually stimulating. Um, I found it to be one of those courses where I was devouring the readings and mm. uh, reading all the cases in advance. Like I, I was reading ahead of the class, which is something I never uh, did in my undergrad. Um, and it was just really interesting to see the outcomes and litigation. And this party pitted against this party, and why this party won, and you know the 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 amount of money that was at stake, um, and I found that fascinating, and and so I thought, uh, why not uh, pursue law school? Um, and I had also th- heard a number of times I, I did a lot of public speaking and, and some debating, and um, I've heard from a, a few people that you know, Salim, make a great lawyer, um, and I kind of brushed it <laughs> off, uh, pushed it off to the side, and I was like, nah, like. Those guys just argue and you know, I don't want to study uh, three years and then a year of articling. And, you know, I was really eager to enter into the real world. So when I graduated, I uh, I was like, you know, I'll put it off to the side. I want to, I, I got, had a good job in sales. Um, I worked for a manufacturing company in Toronto um, and sales is an excellent experience for all of your listeners. I think um, mm-hmm. I would recommend to all students to at least at one point to take a sales job because mm-hmm. it teaches you persistence uh it, it teaches you uh, people skills and um and so i graduated working in sales for about a year and a half 
but I felt like I wasn't intellectually stimulated, and I always, always loved reading and writing. Um, when you know Harry Potter Order of the Phoenix came out, which I actually have in my room right now, <laughs> um, I read it within a day. Um, and I was a huge Harry Potter fan. I just loved reading books and learning. Uh, liked I liked gaming. I liked other things, just like normal kids. But I really <laughs> did like reading. Um, and so I thought maybe I should, you know, take a look at the LSAT. And I, I really didn't believe I would get accepted. Um, yeah. I was extremely, extremely involved in my undergrad. Uh, you know, I was. Mm-hmm. And we can jump into that later. But I, I, I felt like I was distracted from school, even though I did well. I wasn't at the top of my class as a, you know, and I wasn't fulfilling my academic potential. So I wasn't sure if I'd actually get accepted to law school. Um, but I, you know, I, what I, I thought I went to the central library in Mississauga, picked up, you know, a book LSAT for dummies, um, picked up <laughs> another LSAT book, read it, um, did a practice test, didn't score too great, but I spoke to a few other people and they told me, you know what, even if your first LSAT, you know, diagnostic test is what they, t- you know, meant is what they refer to the first test as, even if it's not that high, you can still improve on it. Um, <laughs> and so I worked on my LSAT score, did extremely well and uh, ended up uh, you know applying and, and going to law school I feel like it's kind of interesting to see how you said something kind of sparked your interest in terms of JD MBA and law and I feel like what I've seen in Shulik and in my undergraduate degree in business is like a lot of individuals who enter business kind of have a plan in mind to attend law school after their business degree so for anyone listening who might be looking to enter a JD MBA program specifically could you talk about um, what the applying process was and how what you think allowed you to stand out in that? Absolutely. So before I jumped into that, I, I want to say something about the JDMBA program. The JDMBA program appealed to me so much because I I was always thinking either law school or MBA. It's, it's funny yeah. because I, I was literally thinking either of those options. I know that the MBA gives you these you know, excellent um, business skills and ability to present and the ability to make a sales pitch. And I know that it was, you know, great for networking and for your brand. And I knew that law Mm -hmm. school is also a professional degree that's highly sought after and highly in demand. And I found the law fascinating. And so Mm -hmm. this program was like the best of both worlds. Like I felt like I can't go wrong. And that's why I applied to it. So with that, in terms of the application process, um, the, the JDMBA program requires you to be accepted individually to each program. So you'd have to get accepted to uh, the law school as well as the MBA. And then mm-hmm. um, they give you your admission to the JDMBA program. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of the requirements, uh, obviously the academic requirements of the law school is um, much higher, generally speaking, than the MBA, even though the MBA does have strong academic uh, requirements and i think one of the reasons is that um as you know you know in business there are lots of people who uh, who are extremely successful even though they don't necessarily have the book smarts but they're really you know street smart or or they were mm-hmm. able to uh apply themselves and become very successful entrepreneurs mm-hmm. uh, whereas law is a little bit more of an academic pursuit so mm-hmm. that's why the academic requirements um, at the law school is generally speaking, and there are except you know an A minus average. That generally those two um, you know statistics stats uh, put you in a good position to succeed. 
Obviously, mm-hmm. they're looking for well-rounded candidates, and that's why I said, you know, it's not the end-all be-all if you don't have those grades, because it's a holistic application process, and I know that's something Osgood really focuses on. So they're looking for well-rounded candidates with, you know, really cool life experiences and work experience and extracurriculars that display um, various skills that are transferable to the field of law. Um, because, you know, if you speak to anyone in the profession, they'll tell you that, you uh, if you got the best grades in law school, it does not necessarily mean you'll be the best lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you, you, you will all find out when you enter the workforce, um, a lot of your success depends on your ability to work with others, your ability yeah. to communicate, um, and those soft skills that are so difficult to form and so difficult to, to perfect. Um, and so that's why the admission process is holistic. Uh, so that, that was kind of a little bit about the law side. The business school side focuses a little more on your work experience and mm-hmm. um, and uh, also your extracurriculars, also your academics. They do, uh, from my understanding, the Schulich School of Business for admission to the JD and BA program, they do understand that the applicants to the JD and BA program may have a little bit less experience than the MBA program. So even if you just have a few years of work experience, which generally speaking in the MBA would be on the low end, lower end with the JD and BA there, understand that, uh, you, you, uh, you can do the work. Um, if you get accepted to the, to the law school, chances are you can do the academic work at Schulich and they're willing to look over even if you don't have that much work experience, um, as long as you fit the other criteria. So it's a holistic process. Um, and, uh, what I would encourage your listeners to do is to try to, keep their marks as high as possible. Mm-hmm. It's it's a reflection of your ability to apply yourself um, in school and, yeah. and and employers, most employers do care about, um, you know, your, your, your grades to a certain extent, but it's not the end all be all. I would definitely uh, encourage you to get involved in as many activities as possible um, within a limit. So I think I was a little bit extreme and that I jumped on every <laughs> single opportunity and I was involved in too many things and sometimes i felt that spread myself too thin mm-hmm. um so you know, try to keep your grades up try to engage in extracurriculars that build your skills and, and are meaningful to you but try to pick and choose them um to maximize like to maximize the value for your time um and know that in the end you are in school to learn and you are in school for your academics um so that should be your focus but at the same time don't don't uh be one of those students to just show up to class and go home Try to be mm-hmm. a little bit more active. Try to build connections. Try to take advantage of the resources, the opportunities. Yeah. Um, and I can speak about that uh, a little bit uh, later in terms of, you know, uh, conferences, case competitions, sports mm-hmm. teams, um, student government. Like those are all fantastic experiences that I was involved in that I really feel molded my personality um, and put me in a position to succeed both in, in school and hopefully in, uh, my work life. Yeah. Well, one thing I've noticed with like, um, all of our guests that have come on in the past and you as well, is the fact that, um, it's not the marks alone, right? It, um, all our guests have been extremely involved in the, um, at their school and extracurricular activities. And that definitely plays a big part in landing those opportunities that you're looking for. And I feel like you went into some really good detail in what it took for you to get into this program at JDMBA. But 
now that you've been through a lot of recruitment, how do you um do you feel that doing the JD MBA program gave you a advantage in the recruitment process itself in comparison to if you had only done a law school degree alone or maybe only an MBA degree? Uh, to answer your question, absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel that um, the JD MBA program has an extremely good reputation and it's known to only admit a select number of students each year. And so that automatically helps you stand out uh, in the recruitment process. Um, you know, uh, those degrees on their own would be, um, you know, an accomplishment to, to, to obtain. So when you have both of them under your belt, it looks really good. Mm -hmm. Uh, another thing would be to, I'm thinking for a second about, um, how uh, yeah. the JD MBA also gives you a little bit like the MBA in the, in the law recruit. Cause that's what I did. I went through the law recruit. I didn't really do a lot of recruiting for, for business, uh, positions. Mm -hmm. And so for the, for the, when you're going through the law recruit with an MBA, it gives you so much more perspective and, and so much more stories and experiences to talk about. Mm -hmm. So in my MBA, I was taking courses like mergers and acquisitions where every single week we were mm -hmm. analyzing a significant merger or an acquisition of some sort and discussing various aspects, whether it was valuation, whether it was strategy, synergies, and you know, the likelihood of success of the deal, or even, and sometimes we even discussed legal issues like competition law and how, like, for example, we discussed the Disney Fox merger where it was two very large media companies coming together. Um, but that one's running, uh, you know, a foul of competition law, regulations which is called antitrust in the states which basically says for your listeners is like if two large companies uh who have a huge market share come together that kind of mm -hmm. destroys the competitiveness of the market and can be against the interests of the consumer and so a lot of times the regulator will come in and ask uh them either block the deal or ask them to modify the deal so in the case of the disney fox merger fox had to divest uh basically sell the regional networks to reduce the transaction size uh, and that allowed the, the deal to go through. So those were mm -hmm. kind of, you know, some of the, you know, another course, venture capital, private equity, where we were discussing, you know, the rationale of um, venture capital companies and, you know, what they look for when they invest in, in startups or when they invest in an early stage uh, company uh, or, you know, how do private equity companies purchase, um, purchase a company and, and, you know, make changes, whether it's in the management, whether it's in the operations to make it more profitable and then exit in three to five years and, and make 200, 300, 400% on their investment. So, you know, those are all topics and courses that I wasn't, I wouldn't be able to, to, uh, to take in law school. And so those mm -hmm. are all value adds, um, and are looked on very favorably by, uh, law firms when interviewing. Um, that being said, it's not a requirement. Um, lots of the top lawyers never did an MBA, but I think it helps you to familiarize yourself with the concepts, with the industries, um, and to have a strong business background by which you can approach your clients' issues. Because most of the clients at these law firms, and I know especially Davies, uh, are generally successful businesses, entrepreneurs, and it helps to know uh, business concepts and, and to speak their language, so to speak. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, I think it's also important to mention that because it's, it's, it's hard to put a value on like that information of having that business acumen at the same time as the law. So it's hard to really mm -hmm. like put that into perspective of how much it can help you. But obviously when you've had the experience that you've had is it, you can you can speak to like how it's helped you specifically. So it's important to like have an idea of how like business having that business side knowledge helps a lot. And we kind of want to go back to like you, so you talked about managing extracurriculars, right? And in, in preparation for this episode, we looked through your LinkedIn and noticed that you were a conference coacher for business for a business law conference at Osgood Law School and Schulich. And being such a time demanding program as the JD MBA, can you talk about how you manage your time to make to, how you manage your time for big extracurricular initi initiatives such as um, the conference? Mm hmm. Um, yeah, I'll answer your question, but first, maybe I'll talk a little bit about the conference. Uh, the conference just wrapped yeah. up last three weeks ago or about a month ago, um, three weeks ago, and it was uh, an amazing, amazing experience. I was working with my co-chair, Albina Memunkina, and along with the program director, um, uh, Peter McDonald, and a number of other uh, people on the team, Which and it was a fantastic experience where we brought uh, various corporate lawyers and business professionals from notable companies like Steichman Elliott, Davies, um, uh, McKinsey, uh, Omers, mm -hmm. and um, and other uh, very reputable organizations. Norton Rose Fulbright, our, our keynote speaker, was Wally Solomon, who is one of the uh, you know foremost leaders in the business and law community. Um, he's the former global chair of Norton Rose Fulbright, which is a very well-known law firm and he is currently the chair of the ontario securities commission's capital markets modernization task force which is looking to revamp the capital markets in ontario and make it a more attractive uh place for companies to to uh, invest in uh, in terms of how to manage uh, extracurricular initiatives it is extremely challenging um, and that's one of the areas that i struggle with the most mm -hmm. Um, like I mentioned, your academics should be your focus. However, um, I don't know if it's my personality. I don't know if it's uh, my previous experiences during my youth um, and during high school and during university, but I, I'm so drawn to extracurriculars because I feel like it gives you a sense of community and it really mm -hmm. helps build those skills and, and really gives you more sometimes practical experience. Um, and the social aspect is, is amazing. So I really always make time to it. How do I manage my time? The number one thing is prioritizing, mm -hmm. uh, prioritizing those things that, you know, are the most important. Um, I, I tend to have a very rigorous schedule that I follow. Mm -hmm. um, I don't always follow it to the T, but I try to as much as possible. Um, I usually have, you know, detailed to-do lists that I try to check things off. Um, and sometimes I actually write out my schedule, uh, like with pen and paper. Uh, this mm -hmm. is especially true when I'm extremely uh swamped with work and i have a lot of competing deadlines and, and things where i literally pick up wake up in the morning um and i pick up a pen and paper and i write you know 8 a.m to 9 a.m this is what i'm gonna work on 9 a.m to 10 a.m break uh 10 a.m to 3 and, and obviously like i said you're not gonna always you know follow it to the t but i think that's one strategy that really helps me um um another another practical tip for your listeners is to is to um, s sometimes 
this goes along with the point of prioritizing, but sometimes you got to learn to say no. And sometimes mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. you you are approached with opportunities. And, you know, as human beings, we're kind of yes men or yes women. So we often don't want to let people down. And mm-hmm. we want to say yes to uh, to an opportunity, whether it's someone who's like, hey, do you want to run in this election? Or do you want to help me with this conference? Or do you want to join me on this podcast? Um, <laughs> and sometimes uh, you, you need to recognize those opportunities uh, as, you know, a great value and, and very important. And sometimes you have to say, you know what, I have a lot on my plate. Um, I'm going to say, no, I would love to do it. Um, you know, but at the same time, I am I'm, I'm swamped with work or I have other competing deadlines or, or priorities and I should focus on those. Mm-hmm. So that's one other thing about how to manage. Um, yeah, it, it comes down to really writing. I, I'm a big fan of writing things down. So, you know, I have four mm-hmm. things today. What's my priority? Uh, what's the most urgent thing? Um, there's one technique. Um, I don't, I don't remember exactly. And I might be butchering it. So my apologies to your listeners, but I think it was <laughs> from one of these self-help people. And it said that it was like a technique called swallow the frog. I hope mm-hmm. I'm not butchering it, but what it basically <laughs> meant was um, you, you have one task every day that is so big and so important for you. Mm-hmm. You need to make sure that you finish that before move on to the other things so that Mm -hmm. technique is basically to swallow the frog and you know beginning to finish you know finish that main task and then move on to the other um, lower priority things and i think that's been helpful even though i don't follow it um to the te Uh, but those are a couple tips uh, that i think might be helpful for managing time but it's a continuous struggle for sure yeah i definitely agree with those points especially I always try to write my things down too, you know, having those sticky notes day by day, making sure you're crossing things off and getting things done. But you also, like you also touched on some really good points on getting involved and really allowing you to grow your experiences that, and grow your experiences and skills that you might not be able to grow through your academic career, right? And obviously that's led you to be successful when it comes to law school, um, law firms and applying to law firms. Because I remember in first year in our class, you used to tell us about your recruitment process at Davies and you mentioned having those three hour dinners and all those cocktails and being a first year, I remember, I didn't really have any interview experience. And that was kind of like the first thing I heard when it comes to recruitment. I kind of opened my eyes in terms of how recruitment is in the business field and how we can really get. So could you touch on that and tell us a little bit more about your recruitment specifically for Davies and how it really was for you? Yeah, and um, yeah, it was definitely a very interesting time and and, uh, it can be nerve wracking for a lot of law students. Uh, And I personally had a lot of experience recruiting um, last year, I I went through the New York recruit. Um, I went to the Calgary recruit. I flew down to Calgary. Mm-hmm. I flew down to New York and interviewed with a number of uh, the top firms in, in Canada, the United States. And that, that was a phenomenal experience. Uh, law, law interviews are a little bit different than business interviews, uh, but obviously there mm-hmm. are similarities. So with the law recruit, Law firms are are essentially a group of professionals and support staff that uh, that serve clients. That's essentially like at the in a very simple way how the, the business model works. And and so their main competitive advantage is talent. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the number one. It's it's a people business at the end of the day. And so they go through a lot of effort and they spend a lot of money to make sure that they get quality uh, people 
quality yeah. candidates who are able to do the work and who have the requisite skills to be successful in the industry. The only way to figure that out with people is through interviews, mm-hmm. is through spending time with them as much as possible to make them meet as many people with the firm and try to understand if they fit within the firm, if they um, fit within the culture of the firm, and if they can work well with others and and, and get along. Um, and so recruitment process is generally, uh, for law students, it's, it's kind of weird because it starts off with 15-minute interviews with a number of firms, generally back-to-back. And yeah. well, it's 17 yeah. minutes to be exact. And and in those, for, that's essentially just to, for them to touch base, to see you in person, um, ask you a few questions, and just get a feel for you before you move into the infirm stage. So the first stage is called OCIs. It's on-campus interviews where they come in and they put little booths and you stand in a line and then you go in and certain firms say they want to look at you based on your resume and cover letter and your transcript. And, and then after that, you move into the infirm stage, which is much more lengthy. And that's where the, you know, half an hour, hour, two hour interviews, three hour interviews come about um, and the cocktails and receptions and the dinners. Mm. And so that's the infirm stage. And then after the infirm stage for law students, there's one day where um, you either get a phone call and that phone call is, um, hey, uh, my name is so-and-so at so-and-so firm. Uh, We'd like to offer you a position at our firm. And you either accept um, and, you know, you move on or you don't. Or the phone doesn't ring. You know that you didn't get a summer job. And so it's a very, very nerve-wracking process. But I think they they mainly do this to have a level playing field where all the students go through the same process. And uh, I'm not sure if it works in that intended way. but And also it's it's more efficient for the firms because they get to do all the recruitment in a short span of time. Um, and so... This is how it's been done for time. It's been regulated by the law society, and, and that's just how things go. Um, but uh, so the, the recruitment, like I said, starts with a 17-minute interview. Uh, generally, mm-hmm. it's like very quick things about yourself, like tell me a little bit about yourself. Maybe they might refer to a few lines on your resume. Um, like for me, I was asked about um, some of my work experience, whether it was at KPMG Law or mm-hmm. uh, or or um, – you know, some of my uh, extracurriculars, whether it was, you know, my TA experience, um, teaching Amrit and Balaraj and Abby, um, <laughs> or, uh, you know, some of my uh, other interests, like um, going to the gym or, or playing soccer or things of that nature. And then the second stage is more, a little more substantive where they would ask you questions about, um, you know, what courses you were most interested in, why you were most interested in them what do you know about the firm? Why, 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 why are you interested in our firm specifically? Um, and I think uh, most of them were conversational in nature. And, uh, and I, I had an extremely positive experience with Davies. I felt like it was one of those firms where I was dealing with some of the smartest people um, I've ever met. And I felt they were genuinely interested in my personality and genuinely interested in my experiences. And I felt like it was a place where I can be myself. Um, and, and I remember very vividly where I was asked questions about, um, what are some of the things you're most passionate about? And, uh, you know, I, 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 I loved those kind of questions, right? 
because mm-hmm. I was able to speak about the things that mean a lot to me. And I mentioned things like TAing for Professor Graham Deans. And I mentioned how it was an extremely rewarding experience because I was able to, you know, uh, spend time with students who just entered university. Mm-hmm. It was their first couple of days and, and talk to them about my experience and how I mm-hmm. uh, was able to come into university with very little come out with mm-hmm. so much experience and and uh and skills and in, in, in a very strong network uh, and and that was extremely rewarding for me when i see them succeed and move on to to do great things and and to you know do well in school and, and get great positions and and you know launch new projects like a podcast like that's extremely rewarding for me um and and you know talked about things like how I was involved with the Muslim community because my faith is important to me and how um, that was an extremely amazing opportunity because I grew up um, a lot around uh, a lot of community faith-based events that I felt helped me um, gain certain skills. And I felt like I had to pay that back to my own community. Um, so those kind of questions and those kind of conversations uh, sparked uh, uh a lot in me and, and I felt like they were genuinely looking to get to know me and uh, and that's why when it came down to the final decision um, I was extremely extremely happy to get an offer from Davies. Having spent the, the past summer at Davies um, you talked about how like it was really rewarding and like you had a really good experience can you just talk about what specifically the work days consisted of and if you have any particular moments from that summer that really stood out to you? Absolutely. So as I mentioned earlier, like I had a very positive summer experience at Davies. Um, a typical day for me might be something like uh, wake up at 7 a.m., um, you know, do my morning routine, then probably jump on um, a meeting with one of the firm's uh, practice groups. So every mm-hmm. practice group generally has a meeting in the morning um, on one of the days of the week. And one of the really cool things about Davies is they have a flexible summer program where students are encouraged to take on work from various practice groups and it's very open in that sense. So in the same week, you can be doing work on a bankruptcy case, but then also on a private equity and then also do some litigation and potentially maybe a competition law issue all at the same time, which is really unique mm-hmm. to the summer program at Davies. Um, and so I would might firm wide meeting at these meetings generally, there'd be a discussion on recent events or recent developments in the law or a particular case where one lawyer is looking to get some guidance or looking to bounce off ideas with some of the other lawyers. Um, And so that as a junior, that was a very cool experience to see uh, how lawyers grapple with certain issues and discuss them. Um, And even Mm -hmm. though it was difficult for someone as junior as myself to keep up, um, I tried to take as much notes as possible and research them afterwards. So after some time, you start getting a bit more familiar with the concepts and the language and the laws. Um, so after that, maybe I would have a a, a meeting with um, a lawyer where they would give me instructions um, on an assignment, whether it's doing some legal research or summarizing some agreements. Um, you know, maybe an hour or two hours later, I might sit in on a conference call between uh, the, the lawyer I'm working with on a particular file and the opposing counsel where they're negotiating some sort of um, resolution or they're you know giving information from one another. Um, maybe afterwards I might work on an assignment where it was a memo, legal research memo on a particular area of the law. Um, for example, you know what's the difference between a this 
you know, a bankruptcy, uh, the Bankruptcy Insolvency Act and the Companies Creditor Arrangement Act, or uh, summarizing recent development in the law so that a lawyer can update the firm memo, um, or writing an article uh, that might go on the firm's website uh, on a particular area of the law. So those are like a couple of things that I might do throughout the day. And, and generally my days end um, um, usually in the early evening, um, sometimes longer, sometimes earlier, depends on the, on the, you know, the work I'm working on. Um, but mm -hmm. I felt very supported by the firm and I felt that I always had uh, many resources to help me do my work. Um, we have librarians, we have uh, research staff and the lawyers were generally extremely helpful and willing to, to chat about anything. Cause they recognize you're a student. They recognize, you know, you just finished your second year of law school. And so you're not going to mm -hmm. have every answer in the book. Um, and especially with Davies, they generally give you increased responsibility early on in your career. And so uh, they recognize that these are challenging tasks and they're there. They're not going to do the work for you, but they're certainly going to be there to help and to guide you along the way. Um, and they're confident that they hire people who are employable, who are smart, who can figure things out for themselves. But at the same time, um, they know that you don't have all the answers and they're looking to help um, if you to get some direction. Yeah, from from what you described there, it's it's pretty obvious how high paced like your workday is. Like personally speaking, if I if I had to go to work like that, I'd probably need like two or three days off afterwards just to like <laughs> mentally recoup. But I remember Sal, you mentioned earlier about like your you even went to Calgary and New York to do recruiting, right? And all these different um for all this different recruitment. So you've obviously been through a lot of recruitment and as you mentioned, it could be really stressful. So for those that are listening that do want to go through this recruitment, is there any is there any piece of advice you'd give people that are going through this process on how to approach it from a mental aspect and maybe like maybe even technical and more importantly like the mental aspect of how to get through this? Yeah, it's a great question, uh, Balraj. Um, the mental aspect is very important. I think at the end of the day, if, if you're one of those students who uh, paid attention in class and really focused on your education and, you know, were involved in extracurriculars and are confident in your skills and abilities and, and, and background and, and your experience, um, you should approach it uh, with an open mind. You shouldn't be overly stressed about the outcome. You should be mm -hmm. confident in your skills and abilities. You should know that even if things don't work out, or even if, if a particular firm turns you down, that you're extremely employable, it's a very competitive recruit, um, and that uh, even though you'd be lucky to have the firms, the firms were, would be lucky to have you. And when you approach it with that mindset, as long as it's actually true, like you don't want to fake it, you don't want to be a horrible candidate and pretending to be a great one in your mind. But as long as you actually um, uh, are, are that, I think that puts you in a good position because people can read that during the interview process. They can tell that this person um, worked on themselves. They can tell that this person is employable um, and that confidence uh, shines through. I remember at, on the Wednesday of the recruitment cycle, a lot of law firms would ask me like, that's the final day. And they would ask me like, how are you feeling? And I, I answered very honestly, like I was like, you know, it's, it's, it's been a, an exhausting couple of days running around from firm to firm. It's been very busy, but um, at the same time, I feel like it's the last day and I put my best foot forward. Mm -hmm. And at this point, it's just 
uh, I put my best foot forward. I tried my best. I did everything I could. And it's now just me waiting to see what's uh, in store for me. And I felt like they liked that answer because it, it showed that I was at ease and I wasn't overly stressed. And I think what really helps is, is, is to, to know deep down inside that you're here for a reason. You uh, will be successful even if you don't get any of these jobs. Even if, you know, I had that feeling deep down inside that even if I don't get any job, even if no firm likes me, even if I'm not given the opportunity to shine, I know that deep down inside I will be successful because I have the skills and I have the resilience to push mm -hmm. through adversity. Um, and when you have that, it, it, it shows. Um, uh, and uh, the one thing I would like to add, and uh, one of the guest speakers last night, uh, Terry Kawaja, who is CEO of Luma Partners, one of the foremost M&A uh, advisory firms, said last night, told us a little bit of a story about how he landed a job in New York. And he said that there was a firm interviewing in, in, in Toronto. And he called them and told them, um, you know, I heard that you're, I don't know how he got this information, but he heard that the one of the interviewees had canceled. And he was like, you know, I heard he's canceled. He's scheduled at 2.30. I'll see you at 2.30. And the person was like, uh, well, you're not on the list here. And I don't really want to, like, I, I don't know if, if you, we can interview. He's like, no, like, I'll, I'll come. He's like, there's, and the guy's like, you know what? We'll see. He left the door open for him. This guy mm -hmm. shows up at 2.30. He says, oh, you know what? I can't see you at 2.30. Come at 4.30 when I'm done. Shows up at 4.30. And then at 4.30, uh, he, he, you know, chats with the guy, has an interview with him, speaks to the interviewer, tells him all the things about him, um, tells him, uh, and he's like, you know what? I really liked your persistence. I really liked the fact that mm -hmm. you were going above and beyond to try to land this job. And it shows that for me that you want it more than others. And, and it's, and it's flattering for the firms, right? Because this person is, is really keen on, on working with you and it shows that they're, they're hungry, they're eager. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's one of the most important things in my opinion, per personally. And I think that uh, helped me throughout the recruit, whether with Davies or other firms is they did sense. Um, I don't know, but I, I have a feeling that they sensed that I was hungry and I was eager. Um, mm -hmm. I think that helps you not only in recruitment, but in life in general as a salesperson, as an entrepreneur, as a, as a lawyer, as a doctor, if you're eager and if you're trying hard and if you're willing to go above and beyond, uh, that's a testament to your character. And I think that uh, that's one of the most important pieces of advice. Um, obviously there's a fine line, like you don't want to <laughs> uh, be over, overly eager or unprofessional, mm -hmm. but uh, when you're given the opportunity, you should go and run with it. Um, in terms of other advice I would give, so persistence, um, another piece of advice is to network uh, and to to speak to lawyers or, or individuals or people at the firm or the company you're looking to work for, whether that would be reaching out um, through email, something like, hi, my name is Balraj, um, I'm a second year, you know, Schulich BBA student, I was wondering if you mm -hmm. could chat for a few minutes about your firm, I'd love to get to know a bit more. I'm interested in pursuing this field. And you don't necessarily have to approach that conversation with a job in mind. Like that's another thing mm, that exactly. people uh, have is like, you know, oh, why would I network with them if I'm not going to get a job? Well, you might learn something from that conversation. Yeah. Um, gain some insights into the industry. Might develop a connection, a genuine human connection 
where you connect over, you know, favorite Netflix show. Um, and then that develops into a relationship where you have a mentor for the next few years in, in the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, can connect mm-hmm. you with someone else who presents you with an opportunity down the line. Um, who introduces you to someone else. So it's 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 really coming up with an open mind. And people can sense that. When, when you're going to network with someone and you want to get a job and that's the only reason you're there, it doesn't come off as genuine. But when you come mm-hmm. and you're just trying to build a connection with that person, you form a more genuine connection. And, and that might help you get a job much more than if you just mentioned <laughs> with that intention. Yeah, so, sure. um, so that's another uh, another uh, point. Um, and the last thing I will say is to research the firms you're looking at. And mm-hmm. to really, and that might come about from networking with people at those firms, but in general to research them and figure out whether you actually want to work there and whether it's the firm is actually like what it represents itself to be. Um, and, um, and, uh, and, uh, you know, stay true to yourself, know your experience uh, very well, know your background, know what you have to offer. Um, and also know your place too. Sometimes some students, um, come in with a chip on their shoulder and I've been guilty of that myself, but uh, you have to understand that you're an extremely junior person with, uh, not as much experience as you think. And, Mm. uh, and you need to be humble and willing to learn and, and hungry. Um, and, uh, and hopefully, uh, and, and, and the last thing I will say on this point, because I'm very passionate about recruitment, mm-hmm. what I'll say is all you need is one company, sometimes one person to believe in you. Mm-hmm. If you can convince that company or that person to believe in you and you get a job, it's all you need. You just mm-hmm. need one chance. And that's what I always told myself is like, I, I just need one chance to prove myself because I know I could do it. I, I think I can do it, but I, I just want a chance. And if, and, and if you, all you need is that one job. And if you get that, um, then you, you're secu- you're somewhat secure and uh, you start your career. And uh, so a lot of people get discouraged uh, if they don't get, um, you know, a job or they're applying left, right and center, but all you need is that one to, one to click and one to work out and then you start your career. So that's uh, one thing to keep in mind for all your listeners. Yeah. I love that point of being hungry because I feel like that really resonates with me just through all like coming into just playing sports all my life and, you know, understand that that mindset of wanting more, trying to get to it, trying to work as hard as possible to outwork your competition and things like that. And it's really applying that to everything else in your life. Right. I feel like that's so important when it comes to business because other people might be somewhere where you want to be, but you, you have to be able to stay true to yourself, keep putting in the work and everything will hopefully pay out at the end. 100%. Yeah. I think you gave some excellent advice there. I think one thing you mentioned that, like, I think a lot of times we all believe that, like we all, we all know that we need that one person to click that we need that one company to like believe in us to, you know, get there. But like, we always need someone to say that out loud and that someone actually say it to us. Cause we all, mm-hmm. we all know that like, yeah, if, like we apply to like 70 positions. We only need one, right. To like make it through. Mm-hmm. But we all take that like inherently. I think I don't think like we really believe it until someone really tells us says it out loud. So I think what you said, mm-hmm. really, said right there, I think it's gonna click with a lot of people and a lot of our listeners. And I think on that note, I think that's a great point for us to bring into this episode. Once again, Salam, I want to thank you for um, taking time out of your busy schedule to join us for this episode. And it was really nice to catch up with you after you know meeting you first year. Mm-hmm. We definitely learn a lot from your journey and hearing from your story. And I hope the listeners who are um, listening in are also able to take at least one thing away from this episode to empower their own careers. And we look forward to hearing, seeing you guys again on the next episode of the Empower Podcast.